Well, good morning, Christ City. Uh, welcome here again uh, digitally, this uh, being a Palm Sunday. Now, typically, uh, we go into a Palm Sunday triumphal entry text on this Sunday, but today, uh, as you'll see, our text is so timely that we're going to uh, remain in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read Matthew 6, 25 to 34, and then we'll pray together. Let's read that. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, this is a timely word for us, your children. And I pray that you'd use this word again as we are scattered around this city to encourage us, to, to build us up, and to help us to trust in you in a real and tangible way in these uncertain times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to begin with the help of Don Carson, a Bible scholar and teacher, by, by having us imagine three people. Three people. So wherever you are, just close your eyes and imagine three different people with me. The, the first person, Carson writes, is a happy-go-lucky, cheerful, almost irresponsible person. Uh, if they are a follower of Jesus... He probably, or they probably won't cause any tension by stooping to bitterness or vindictiveness. Everyone knows this person as a nice person. On the other hand, they remain insensitive to the needs and feelings of others. That's person number one. Person number two, Carson asks us to continue imagining, is the hyper-responsible person uh, in your life. Maybe it's you. Even prior to this pandemic, they were obsessed over the economy and over even everyday little things. Carson continues and describes a third person. The third person, he says, is a balanced and sane young Christian who wakes one evening to find that their spouse can't speak and move the right side of their body. Soon, a brain tumor is discovered and the prognosis for their spouse is soon and sure death. Each of these people, person one, two, and person three, will all hear the words of Jesus we just read differently this morning. And, and, and maybe you've already felt that. And maybe even if you're in a room with multiple people, you've already seen that. Person number one, our happy-go-lucky friend, 
will hear this and what Jesus says as permission to remain irresponsible, unconcerned with commitments or or hard work. After all, aren't they just obeying Jesus' commands not to worry? Person two, our anxiety-ridden brother or sister, will hear our text as a rebuke this morning. It feels, perhaps right now, even after I read that, like Jesus is pouring on the shame. And Carson writes, quite with a sense of irony, this person begins to worry about worry. In person three, spouse lying in a hospital bed will most likely be one of callous sneering. Do not worry. Do do not worry. Carson, giving voice to this man, writes this. Man number three hears such an injunction and weighs it against the gnawing anxieties that plague the spirit and endanger health, and he mutters, you don't understand. It can't be done. Which person are you this morning? How do you hear Jesus' words on anxiety and worrying this morning? As permission? As condemnation? As a pithy and callous, removed statement? Jesus is going to lovingly correct each response this morning as we look at our text through three different points. It'll be up on the screen. Point number one is anxiety and ambition. Point number two is anxiety and wisdom. And point number three is anxiety and faith. Let's look at that first point together. Anxiety and ambition. Let's read verse 25 and then skip down and read verses 31 to 33 together. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now let's skip down. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus believes that all of humanity, and he assumes that we're all seeking or chasing after something, uh, effectively all worshiping something. And last week we saw that we either worship mammon, or we worship God. We either seek after stuff and earthly treasures, or we seek after our Father who loves us. The therefore that began our text this morning, that one word, tells us that there is a deep connection between what kingdom we are seeking after and what we are worrying about. In other words, in this one word, Jesus lets us in on the secret that misplaced seeking or misplaced ambition will always bear the fruit of anxiety in our life. Why? Well, last week we saw it. Moths and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. Things on this earth are uncertain, to say the the least. If our ambition is set on earthly things, even basic things like food and clothing in our text today, we are in for an anxious, fearful ride. But the answer to misplaced ambition 
contrary to what person number one, our happy-go-lucky friend, might believe, is not no ambition, not no drive, not no concern, but right ambition. Instead of being consumed with our daily needs anxiously, we are to align ourselves with the ambitions and the worries and the concerns of the kingdom of God. It's interesting to note that in our text today, Jesus uses this word worry six times. And he uses it in a negative sense. But that same word in the original language is also used by Paul in places like 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul uses that word positively. And there in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, listen, the single person has the advantage of being anxious or concerned or worried about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. So if you've identified with person number one this morning, you're you're happy-go-lucky, almost to a selfish or an irresponsible extent, and you're tempted to twist Jesus' words into affirming this lifestyle you've chosen, here's what you need to hear in our text today. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Love God. Love other people. Concern yourself with his kingdom. Again, if I'm being honest, I probably fit into the person number two category. I'm an anxious person just by nature. And sometimes I beat myself up because I want to be like person number one. I think there's some sort of platonic ideal of like this Zen person, this completely calm person who, whatever happens, seems unaffected by it. When we care or they care for nothing. I want to be clear here. That philosophy of living is called non-attachment, and it's a Buddhist philosophy. It's profoundly unchristian. We are, as followers of Jesus, to have kingdom ambition marked by love of God and love for our neighbor. And the good news about our kingdom ambition or our kingdom concern is that while we are anxious about kingdom things, ultimately what differentiates it is that the inbreaking of the kingdom is not up to us, doesn't depend on us. How have we learned to pray before this text? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. It's that passive imperative that realizes that we can't do this. I can't bring the kingdom to bear on my own. I need the Father to move through me and in me as he brings his kingdom. We are invited to cast our right concern for kingdom things onto our loving Father. Now, none of this today is to say that food and clothing and basic necessities don't matter. Jesus is not a Gnostic. He doesn't believe that the body's irrelevant and only the spiritual matters. No. See, later on in that very prayer I just mentioned, the Lord's Prayer, we're instructed to ask for our daily bread. So while Jesus ultimately desires our ambitions to be kingdom-oriented, he also wisely speaks into our basic and immediate needs. And this is point number two, anxiety and wisdom. Anxiety and wisdom. Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, while Jesus is certainly more than a wisdom teacher, he's not less than a wisdom teacher. And in this section, he puts on his wisdom teacher hat. Let's read verses 26 to 30 together. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, 
nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And Jesus is making a lesser to greater argument in this section that goes something like this. Our Heavenly Father is intimately involved in our world. And, and while we might be quick to write off the feeding of birds and the growing of flowers and of grass to natural processes, the, the Bible never speaks that way. While our Father's over and above our creation, He's also intimately involved with it. If you want to, you can pause the video and go read Psalm 147 and hear about how our Father cares for even the ravens. Instead, the Scriptures paint this clear picture of a God who is intimately involved in our world. And if this is how our Father cares for creation, cares for grass and birds and flowers, and again here that word for flowers is likely like wildflowers, not special flowers, but just wildflowers growing out in the field. If He cares for those little things, how much more will He care for you? You image bearer. You beloved by the Father. You chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. How much more will he care for you? So, so to this wisdom, Jesus adds what amounts basically to a wise rebuke. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Again, anxiety here is not to be confused with wise planning or diligent work. Read Proverbs. We're told to look to the ant who works hard and prepares. So, so don't confuse it here. But anxiety here is this inward, this crippling struggle that comes from having our ambition set on earthly things. And, and that struggle, Jesus says, ironically, has been proven not only to not add to the span of your life, but, but we know it actually can include and be a part of a decreasing your lifespan. Jesus is being so practical with us. And he's not done. He ends our text today by saying this, and I think it's really timely. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Perhaps more than ever, you and I need to adopt a one-day-at-a-time mindset. It's so important that in the midst of coronavirus, we act wisely in not dwelling on questions of how long will this last? Or, or how long can I endure with kids inside? Or how long will I be able to last being by myself and isolated? How long will the economy go like this? We're concerned right now, all of us, with questions of the future. And into these anxieties that are born of thinking of tomorrow, Jesus says, listen, friends, there is enough to be concerned with today. Jesus is being so practical with us. And I wonder if at this time I can also just be so practical with us as a church as well. In this season, we need to think seriously about the information or wisdom that we are consuming. 
our information diet, if you will. I want to throw a graphic up on the screen created by an author named uh, Brett McCracken, and he calls it his wisdom pyramid. You can see that now. And it functions a bit like a food pyramid in that it's intended to help us see how we should be allocating our knowledge intake, uh, our knowledge engagement. And you can pause the video if you want to examine it further. But really, all I want to do with this is, is help us see that some of us are anxious because we are eating junk food all day long, also known as spending hours on Twitter, on Facebook, or, or, or Instagram, or, or going to not reputable news sites because we're hungry for more and more information. Person number two, do, do you remember them? The brother or sister so anxious, worrying about their worry this morning? Jesus wants to speak just some wisdom to you this morning. First, he says, listen, our Father loves you. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. Trust him. Second, he says, and by the way, you can't add to your life by worrying. You can't. And thirdly and finally, he says, listen, friends, don't look to tomorrow. There's enough anxiety for today. We move now to point three, anxiety and faith. You know, if anxiety and ambition is really asking the question of who will you run after, and anxiety and wisdom is really asking the question of who will you listen to, anxiety and faith is asking the question underneath those other two questions. Who will you trust? Who will you trust? In, in verse 30, we find a phrase that might sound callous to some of us. Jesus says this, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, faith is popularly understood to mean something like a leap, right? A leap of faith, we say. But that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith does not lead with a question, just do it without knowing anything. No, biblical faith leads with God. We are to see and know and enjoy God's character, his nature, in the story of the Bible and in our own lives. And then we're asked, in view of God, in view of his self-revelation to us, who will you trust? Who will you trust? And if you're having a hard time this morning trusting God, let me just suggest that this week, Holy Week, is a perfect reminder of who He is. Today is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, the day we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On Friday, we'll celebrate, in some strange sense, the crucifixion of Jesus. That because he died on the cross, our sins are paid for. His blood covers our guilt. And on Sunday, we'll really celebrate with the empty tomb. That Jesus is not dead, but is alive. Not only is he alive, but by his spirit, he is present with us. Nothing in the history of the world should inspire our trust, our faith, like the events of Holy Week. And let me just suggest this. If not for the events of Holy Week, you would have every reason to be anxious right now. 
I'm not sure how those self-help gurus do it. Get up in front of a camera and just say, hey, don't be anxious and, and give you nothing on which to hang your hat upon. If Jesus did not die on the cross, if Jesus did not rise gloriously from the grave, you have every reason to hoard your food right now. You have every reason to rise and fall with the stock market. You have every logical reason to find yourself in a pit of despair. In fact, in fact, it is only because of Holy Week, it is only because of the cross of Jesus and his resurrection that person number three, do you remember them? Suffering as they are, need not be cynical this morning. Jesus' command to not worry, we have to remember, was given in the shadow of the cross. Jesus understands. He understands. To you who are suffering, who are anxious, who are worrying, and are perhaps a bit cynical this morning, close your eyes with me. Jesus comes to us. He puts his arm around us. He tells us to look to creation and he whispers, do not worry. And then he lifts up our head and asks that we would behold the cross. I have died and I have paid for your sins. And he grabs us and he whispers to us. He says, look beyond the cross and see the empty grave and see the empty tomb. I'm alive. Death does not have the final word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that because of the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, we can stand on the rock that is Jesus because of those events in history, because that has happened. We cannot be anxious this morning. I pray for my brother and sister right now who are anxiously watching this sermon. And I pray, Father, that they would act wisely, that they would set their hearts towards you, and that underneath all of this, they would be choosing day by day, moment by moment, to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.